The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. In the Dharma and Depression series, Ronika Batsnik encouraged participants to speak freely about their experiences with depression, assuring them that their remarks would not be made public. Therefore, participants' comments and questions have been excluded from this recording. Good evening, everyone. Could you hear me? Okay. Um, thank you for coming back to the, our fourth evening together on Dharma and Depression and some of the Buddha's medicine that uh, helps um, repair and mend broken hearts, um, the kind of medicine that's been around for the past 2,500 years ago that we've been discussing. Um, and last week, we particularly talked about the ways in which we interpret events and um, um, through the ruminations of our mind and the, the momentum of habit, and habit in our mind, we often end up on the train to Depressionville, uh, misinterpreting events in the direction of um, seeing ourselves as unworthy or as a failure, or, or as you know, the potential doom and gloom, failure, hopelessness, etc. So one of the assignments was to um, to uh, pay attention this week to some circumstances of your lives um, in which you may have put an overlay of an, of an interpretation on the event, and to then review the experience. Uh, and to see what that interpretation was and, and um, compare it to what the simple fact or the reality of the event was. Oftentimes our interpretations are completely opposite to what we were thinking and, to, and that thoughts are not facts and that you, know, you spent uh, an unhappy amount of time in silence and depression and that's the suffering news and the... the um, the more skillful side of that is, is that when you mindfully examine the situation, you can take the express train back, you know, to mindfulnessville, which is a far safer place to be. Um, just for the newcomers, uh, we were talking uh, last week about the Buddha's medicine of looking for uh, or mindfully, intentionally looking at the um, people, places, and things in our lives that drain us and tend to put us on the train to Depressionville. Um, some of our are avoidable, some of them aren't. But the idea is when something's depleting um, and making you feel lack, like lack or unworthy or that emptiness and hole that's so associated with the term depression, um, that when you, get, when you know what those things are, then you could you can make choices, you know, in them. Like you know, maybe if you have to go see your family and that's a high charge situation, that you limit the amount of time that you go there. Um, something you know, something along those lines. And then alternatively, that you come up with a list of nourishing things that offer you a sense of satisfaction and efficacy, and feeling that there's a, an accomplishment. And even when you're severely depressed, somebody's just opening the mail, you know can be what the nourishing activity is. Or I love that example of realizing that staying in bed is depleting, but going out and getting exercise is nourishing. So you could always turn to that list. 
And I've encouraged people to write the list ahead of time because when you're caught in the grip of depression and you're already in Depressionville, it's, it's, it, your mind might be too much of a fog or, you know, too, um, it may have, your mind may have crashed to the point where you, you can't recall what's nourishing. And so when you have it, you can, you can actually refer to it. And I think I, I also encourage you to share it with people that you love in your family or your friends, because if they see the signals of your depression, for example, that you're not answering the phone or you're, um, you're, you're, you're withdrawing, um, uh, that, that they could question it and say, you know, how could I help? And let's take a look at that, uh, that nourishing list, making sure that the, that the bank account and the nourish, you know, that things are being put in to the bank account rather than withdrawn, you know, withdrawn by what's depleting. And this is very skillful. And I also talked about how at the monastery we were trained to intentionally at the end of the day review um, uh, things that we did through body, speech, and mind that were skillful. Um, And so that we went to bed with a mind that was setting the seed of intention to um, not just review, which is very helpful because it uplifts the mind, but also plants the seeds of intentions to continue to do those things in days to come, to keep your mind in a steady, equanimous state. Um, certain people could be on both sides of the list, and then we realize that it's up to us to really shape the conversation. Like if somebody's you know, um, being critical uh, to you or um, they're... They're, for whatever reason, your response to them is you see your mind falling, that you can extract yourself from the situation. You could also try to change the conversation. You can also try to steer it in a way, you know, that's more neutral or uplifting. Um, um, but ultimately, it's always our responsibility to watch our own minds. Ultimately, you know, it's hard enough to change yourself, so it's a completely, you know, hopeless task to try to change somebody else. But in those situations where you can, you know, mold, mold things in a particular direction, great. But I'm just alerting people to the, uh, the setup for depression where you're expecting an outside condition to help you because that's, that's the, uh, you know, that's the first class ticket to Depressionville, expecting others to, others to change that's like you're 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 like the ultra first class ticket to depressionville so we always you know the the buddhist medicine is always looking inside to ourselves and saying you know um, what what can we do you know we don't necessarily from a dharma point of view you know ask why and get into a whole story and you know, our terrible childhoods or, you know, illnesses. And all these are, you know, 100 can be, you know, a million percent accurate. That's not the point. Um, the point more is to see, you know, the rumination about the experience and what the mind state is that's fueling it. So that's what we do. We look at the story. Let's just take childhood as an example, abuse, divorce, you know, the the the... the thousands and thousands of sorrows that are in life and oftentimes what lies behind it you know are things like fear you know things things that are that things are you know just feeling so bad for yourself so sorry for yourself um anger 
rage, um, you know, just the the aversion, wish, wishing it didn't happen, wish the thoughts would go away. So we don't we don't really get into the storyline. We look at you know what's the what's the fuel fuel tank to the story. And we say what's the fuel, and it, and it may be all those things. You know, it may be fear, it may be anger, it may be lack of forgiveness, it may be, um, you know, still holding a grudge, it may be um, um, uh, feeling that, you know, it should have been another way than, than it was. Um, why wasn't I protected and da-da-da. Um, Ajahn Chah, the very famous meditation master, said, you know, if it should have been different, it would have been different. And, uh, you know, we, we can't, at this point, we, we can only change our relationship to our experiences. We can't change the experiences themselves. So this is why mindfulness is the medicine that, that cures the disease of depression, that cures the disease of desire, which basically depression is a disease of because we either want things that aren't here because we think they're going to make us happy, or we don't want things that are here or have been here because if they hadn't, or they aren't, they weren't, then, you know, our lives would have been different and, and also happy or happier. And um, this is, this is the Buddha said, this is, um, this is ignorance. It's ignorance because um, no matter how much we accumulate happiness and no matter how much we accumulate um, um, or, or try to avoid or get rid of what's unpleasant, you know, it's never going to work. Okay, because the nature of life is impermanent. Okay, every you know, no feeling is final. No, nothing is final. Our lives aren't final. Our bodies aren't final. You know, ultimately we have no control. And a lot of people find this depressing. And the Buddha said, uh, you know, well, this is optional suffering. This is an interpretation. This is um, uh, it's optional because we can have a different relationship. We can see the facts of life. We can see that there's suffering. We can see that things are impermanent and ultimately empty. They're not. They're, they're not personal to us. You know, our our life, although it seems as if we're, you know, things are happening to me. You know, when we look at our our direct experience, you know, who are, who are they really happening to? You know, where where are they? You know, who 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 could own abuse or who could own you know, happiness. It's, it's, these things are unownerable. That's what the essence of emptiness is. And so these are very difficult insights to keep in mind when you're you know, severely depressed, which is why when you're moderately depressed or not in a particularly depressed state and in a, in a, in a very, you know, uh, balanced state of mind, it's very good to make these reflections, you know, that, um, that, the world doesn't go according to our will and our wishes. It goes the way it goes by the past seeds that we've planted and we don't know when they're going to sprout. So this is why we may, we can't change the past. The past is the past. The seeds have been planted, which is why I really made a, an appeal for intention last week or the week before. You know, by planting the seeds of goodness, goodness sprouts. By planting the seeds of generosity, it's an antidote to depression, you know, to to reach out to others, to smile, to give somebody a parking place, to compliment a store clerk, you know, no matter how minimal, you know, it is, um, 
you know, this is this is a way of, you know, sh- sharing the experience of humanity rather than clenching on it uh, to our own particular experience uh, and isolating ourselves, which only further um, furthers our depressed depressed state. So these are, the, you know, emptiness is, you know, emptiness is, is an antidote to ignorance. Ignorance not because we're stupid, but because the Buddha said we're ignoring the facts of life. You know that um, these experiences aren't ownerable; they're not mine. You know, if if they were mine, if you're if 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 the abuse or the terrible divorce or lack of employment was yours, you know, then we could change it. You know, and say, you know, don't get sick, don't get old, don't die. You know, it's just it's not it doesn't happen that way. You know, so. Um, this is the, these are contemplations that the Buddha says. You know, says it brings great wisdom, and again, it's very. It, these are difficult contemplations when you're depressed, when you're severely depressed, which is why these exercises, applying the medicines every day at this point, you know, the loving kindness on the go, and and reflecting on skillful events, and um, looking at. Uh, our experiences with soft eyes, challenging our interpretations, not seeing thoughts as facts, um, um, are, you know, are are essential to, are, are they're they're really life, you know, life savers in any condition, life savers because, you know, it's it ultimately, you know, everything that we love and everything we're attached to. You know, will vanish. It will. It will go. It will. We will be separated. Separated from the loved. Another great fact of life, which you could sit here and you know and weep about. Or the op- you know, The other is the wisdom that the Buddha said. When there's pleasure, you know, we we kiss it. We know it. We experience it. We feel it right now. You know, with the wisdom fueling it, that we can experience as it is, knowing it won't last. And similarly, we can tolerate. You know the, the the miseries uh in life, and we can open our hearts to them, knowing with the wisdom they won't last, which really brings me to the topic I want to discuss tonight, which is compassion um, which which really is very, very closely related to the experience of suffering um, it, which de- depression certainly counts you know in that uh, category. Um, you know the Buddha talked about compassion in the in the suttas. I believe it's it's like the quivering of the heart, you know, in, in response to life. The heart, you know, it's like almost if you've seen like a, a leaf that quivers. You know, when your heart is open and you hear people talk about the secrets and sorrows of their life, and your your heart quivers in response. It's an open heart. It's not a closed-fisted heart. Which is afraid and wants to push it away, as if you know you're almost as if you push it away that you won't experience it yourself, or that it feels so intolerably painful that you close down and you clutch up against it. You know, you, you just you just withdraw because it sounds so horrific and just you know that how awful it would be if that happened to you. Compassion's the opposite, and so even in depression. You know, we can, as we sit here shoulder to shoulder, and as we sit here breath by breath, you know, I don't know, I know a few of you, um, because I've seen you before and you've come to my classes and I'm happy to see you and I care about your lives, 
but I don't know most of these pe- people in the room, and probably my guess is most of you don't either. But may- maybe I'm wrong. How many people know each other? So not many. But you know, we all have our stories. I mean, the the point is, we don't really have to, do we? We all have our stories um, in our lives that are painful. You know, that are very. You know, that that if we each told each other our stories. You know, uh, and if our hearts were open in compassion, you know, they could bring, you know, great, you know, weeping and sobs because they're very hard. So just by nature of being, you know, a human being, you know, everybody has their own story. Um, and so we're all commonly connected in, in terms of our suffering because, you know, we've been hurt, we've been betrayed, you know, people have gossiped about this, we've been fired or we've been, you know, uh, Rejective, you know, the endless stream of things. So, whatever the, your particular story is around it, you know, of course, is is very important and meaningful to you. But the but the real shared thread, you know, is that we've all experienced these very painful, you know, uh, events in our lives, um, death and loss and rejection and sorrow and you know, not getting what we want. And um, that's really all we need to know. You know, that, that's really enough because the story itself gets us lost in those ruminations, you know, of why me? And I wish it wasn't this way. And if it was only another way and this, you know, bringing it back to you know, this is not the way life is. And the Buddha said we have to look at things as they are, because when we look at things as they are, and I said this in our first class, well, we open it up and we see our experience on a screen as if it's a movie. Okay, we are not the experience. We are observers of the experience. And in that observation is the seed of compassion and wisdom and loving kindness. Okay, for all of us. So when we observe our experience, so let's just let's just take a moment right now and 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 as you sit and just breathe gently, um, allow an experience of, of pain or suffering to arise in your mind or a particular rumination to arise in your mind and observe the thought or the feeling as if it's on a screen in front of you. Just observing it with soft eyes, meaning eyes of, of, of kindness. This is a human experience that was associated with a lot of pain and despair. Just noticing there's this act of observation as an act of generosity, that, that we're observing it, strengthening the seed of compassion and wisdom to grow out of it, because in the moment of observation, it's no longer living under the delusion of me or mine. And you can just open your eyes again. So there are endless opportunities to be compassionate in this very sad world, and particularly beginning with ourselves. You know, um, there's, you know, fake compassion where, you know, you, you know, it's kind of like pitying. You feel, you know, you feel sorry for somebody, but it's really not the quivering of the heart. 
you know, it's a kind of distancing of yourself um, for whatever reason. So we we challenge that. We look at it and we we acknowledge how difficult it is to be compassionate in a world that and in an inner world it's been so beat up and an outer world it's so difficult to survive in. And we ask ourselves, you know, to what extent to what extent am I able to open compassionately to this experience, to this to this endless ruminations, this endless story I have about my life and how terrible it is and how unworthy I am and if only and if just, you know, those kinds of minds. You know the quivering, the quivering of the heart to that to that experience, and to the extent that the Buddha talked, you know, and you know, from a place of wisdom, looking at things as the truth of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, and then you know the the um, the natural function of compassion and loving kindness and equanimity and sympathetic joy, the four Brahma Viharas, you know, being you know the outgrowth. Of, of mindfulness, um, you know, we 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 can we can set our minds to the fact that um, the healing of our depression through compassion, through knowing our suffering, through being intimate with it, you know, is the release from it. So, you know, a lot of people come to me as a psychologist, as a chaplain, and they talk about how lonely they are. And, you know, the Dalai, His Holiness Dalai Lama says, like, you know, loneliness is like one of the, you know, the number one factors of unhappiness in the world today. You know, we're just so isolated and we uh, no, we don't we no longer have these community ties. And in Tibet, he talks about somebody dies and the whole community goes out and gets the firewood and, you know, builds the, the funeral pyre and then brings the families the meals. And, you know, it's in Tibetans are always shocked to find out that we don't even know our neighbors. So loneliness is a big deal in our lives and is a cause for a lot of depression. You know, you just you just feel like there's no one to talk to. No one's there for you. Then on top of it, you got to pay somebody to talk to you, or you know, you got to, go, you know, it's it's it, you know, there's a lot of you know, or, or so um, you know, a lot a lot of painful things. But um, you know, and I and I think about this a lot uh, that actually the Dharma is um, is the greatest antidote uh, to loneliness because it, the Dharma is really intimacy. The, it, the, the Buddha's teachings are about imp, in, 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 intimacy. What could I open to? What's you know what what is my heart closed to? You know my f- fear, self-hatred, you know um, loneliness, you know danger. What what is my heart closed to? So in the sense that when as soon as you ask that question, you know the loneliness loosens, and already you're trying to investigate, you know the fear. What's what's fear? You know what's sorrow? What's misery? You know what's numbness? What's what's I don't I don't give a damn. You know what's what's suicidal despair? You know so as soon as you start looking at things through the lens of investigation, which the Dharma is, it's an experiment. The Buddha said, like, don't listen to what I say. Investigate. You know, you use the lens of investigation of you know what is happening in this moment, not why is it happening, what is happening. You know, what's the fuel of this moment? You're already developing an intimacy with your experience as opposed to having, you know, a, a, a cement, 
wall that is so thick that you're just gripped by the experience and you're not mindful of it. Okay? That's, that's, you know, that's living, that's living a life that's not living a life. It's like eating without eating. You know, you're going through the emotions. You're an automatic pilot, but there's no intimacy in it. So we take the intimacy what we, that we have. You know, what's there, the, the loneliness is there. You know, the, 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 sorrow is, the sorrow is there. I was reading this article in the paper today about how, and I was thinking about the class tonight, about how people with depression, people who've been abused, for example, in their early lives are more prone to depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, etc. Um, it's like a, almost a loading that happens because of neglect or abuse or, you know, um, um, lack of nurturance. And as I was reading this article, I could just feel, you know, my heart just, you know, it's sad. You know, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it definitely plays its toll. Otherwise, I'd be just speaking alone to the walls today, tonight. But I'm not. People are here. They know what I'm talking about. And, but they also talked about, you know, the other side is that we can train our minds. We can train our minds. We can heal our minds. We can go into, we can become intimate. We can become compassionate to our experience and, and allow the quivering of the heart to emerge. It's not something that you can demand or command. It comes with intentionally making these mindfulness practices every day. And even if you can't be compassionate to your own story and your own experience, you know, you can look at somebody else's mind and think of their life circumstances and you can see if you, what you can generate from that. Okay. So there's, there's lots of ways to do it if you can't do it for yourself. You know, you could try to do it for other people. Strangers, you know, somebody who's serving you uh, the coffee at Starbucks, the person behind you in the car in front of you, you know, that the, the burden of life just as it is, you know, just as a way of kind of juicing, juicing up the mind in the direction of compassion. And also just touching just the nature of suffering itself. Just really allowing yourself to sink into the suffering, not in a self-pitying way, okay, where you feel sorry for yourself and make it worse, but, you know, using wisdom to, to combat ignorance. Say, this is suffering. You know, this is wanting some, what it feels like to not want something, to not want this memory, to wish this didn't happen. Or this is the experience of really wishing something you know good would happen and i'd feel better you know as another form of suffering because as soon as you're with that wish or with that aversion you know you bring the light of wisdom to that experience and in that in that moment of wisdom you know compassion is born it isn't that way or it may not be that way or it was that way are there any comments at this point about the relationship between compassion and suffering and the intimacy with suffering? It's a wonderful practice, by the way. This is suffering. You can walk around all day just, you know, the water's too hot, this is suffering. Water's you know, too cold, this is suffering. You know, this is a, you know, this red light so long, this is suffering. I mean, or I can't get out of bed. I mean, I'm not trying to trivialize the suffering. Yes, somebody had a hand up. Well, I, I mean, those those are really good questions, you know, in terms of, you know, looking at, depre- you know, buildings of someone's, you know, what, 
going out of business, mom and pop. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't suggest like using, you know, all the depressing things that are around on the news and on the streets as, you know, a reason to make ourselves feel even worse. It's, it's what the Dalai Lama says. It's like more of an opportunity to see our common humanity. It's like, you know, things are born and, they, you know, they have a beginning, middle and an end. We don't know when the middle is, but we do know there's an end and that this person's suffering and that to the extent you're able, you, you know, you wish them well. You know, not not as a rant rant and rave about how, you know, unfair life is. I mean, that that's definitely a rumination to become aware of, and say, you know, this this is going to go right down to Depressionville Express first class. That you say, you know, this this just just as I want to be happy, may these people be happy. You know, but the, you make that intention. You know, so we see suffering, we touch suffering, and we make the intention. You know, of wishing ourselves well and wishing other people well, because the nature of impermanence is change, and we can't hold on to the good. We can't avoid. We can't avoid the unpleasant. So we touch it. So if you, the misuse of compassion is if, is if you know that you start ruminating about you know <laughs> the poor store owner, right? You know that's another way to make yourself miserable, right? So you you you're ruminating about yourself and how terrible things are going for yourself and then you just you, you know you switch tracks and then you you know you're imagining you know the whole scenario of, of what happened in the store so that that's not the idea of compassion the compassion is you know you you yourself know what it's like to suffer and here you you somebody else is suffering too and and that this this is the nature this is the nature of life and it's a it's an opportunity for a moment to see that suffering can soften your heart not necessarily have to harden your heart you know that's an option suffering can soften your heart not necessarily have to harden your heart well, well certainly you know this is a noble goal what which is to end did you say end and suffering in the world. Um, but the Buddha gives us a different kind of instruction. He says that the way to end suffering um, in the world is to end suffering within ourselves. And so this is what I mean by the intimacy. So we have to look at that inner critic, that inner dictator, you know, that inner complainer, that inner sa- saboteur. You know, and we have to we have to become intimate with this. You know, the, oh, this is this is what it's like to undermine myself. This is what it's like you know, to be stuck in a rumination. This is what it's like, you know, to, to, to really be, you know, cruel to myself. This is where the intimacy, it's like, what's going on here? You know, to the extent that that magnet of self-cruelty is so strong, it's like, hmm, where does it start? You know, where was it, where was that born? Not, you know, my parents and my mother and my immigrants. It's, it's not, it's not that. It's like, you know, was there, a, you know, what what was the, the 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 thought in my mind that created this feeling? You know, so that's the intimacy that stops the war, as they say, that stops the war within, that helps end suffering in the world. Because, you know, have you ever like heard people talking quote compassion talk, but it sounds like a tin can? Does everybody, does everybody know what I mean? It doesn't like, it doesn't sound really sincere. Well, why why is that? My, my feeling is is because they haven't looked at it inside themselves. So, you know, they're saying the right things. But uh, one of my teachers, Jack Cornfield, who I'm infinitely 
uh, grateful to always says that you know that when he sits with people who are dying or suffering and listening to the you know the deep sorrows of life he's capable of doing it sincerely and i know that because he's listened to mine um because he's listened to his own he's touched his own so um i'm not going to say you know you're, that 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 depression is a, a gift and i'm not going to go on you know how great it is but there is you know there is the advantage of it it, it does open your heart to compassion if you can open to your own secrets and sorrows and fears and terrors you know and and feelings of anger and rage that's to the extent that you can sit and sincerely listen to others you know and the world you know, and to the whole world at large you know and and this this is this is this is this can be inspiring and if it isn't that's that's fine i mean i i certainly understand it if your mind is is in that more bitter uh um feeling at this moment then investigate that bitterness you know what is it like you know what what's the pinch of the heart you know what's the thought in the mind you know is it is it you know where is it located in the in the body what's the feeling tone is it pleasant unpleasant or neutral whose is it whose bitterness is it if it was yours you could tell it to go away but it isn't yours so you say that there's bitterness we, you know it's a, it's here and i don't know whether you know when the middle is but no feeling is final so i can be compassionate to, uh, to it uh well it's here if i'm having trouble being compassionate i can go look for i can seek out a nourishing activity i could seek out a skillful distraction but i don't have to sit here and beat myself up and destroy this moment let bitterness be bitterness and see what happens yes well that's that's very skillful mindfulness that you know that the i encourage people to bring up a, a situations or memories and that when you were observing them you realized it was overwhelming and so you cut off i would say you know to the extent that you intentionally would do that you know could be very so you had a minute to softness and then then something happened and you don't know what happened right so this is again i would say very skillful mindfulness and that's the place to really investigate when you're um when you're when you're sitting with a with a painful mind state a memory okay or a, an aversion wishing something hadn't happened or uh you know running through or a, a rage that you might have or a self-hatred or feeling of betrayal whatever um there is a point when sometimes you know the 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 soft eyes you know break through and all of a sudden the the dictator or the critic comes out yeah or the saboteur this is you know this this is really good to watch this is really really good to watch or just how quickly the coldness or the wall can come down so this is why not in severe mind states when you're really depressed it's not the time to do it but when you're feeling strong or when you're feeling even mildly depressed it's like, you know what extent could i you know move towards and like this in a soft way almost like petting the experience and when does that and when does that toleration end okay and what was the what what fueled it you know and and the, you know I, and you only you can answer it 
and many of my teachers have said the ultimate emotion, the ultimate kind of foundation of a, a lot of pain in life is fear, you know. And it's, it takes a lot of um, uh, mindful strength to look at fear. And so we don't have to go in, you know, and just say, okay, I'm going to look at fear, the whole thing, and, you know, and get and pass out from it because it's so much. We take it in little increments to the extent that we're able, you know. But in sitting with soft eyes, you know, the fear of crying and not being able to stop. Has anybody not had that feeling here? I think it's probably, you know, one of the most, you know, that's that's part of our common humanity. I was just today I I have the very, very, very good fortune of being um, uh, one of the editors on a book by His Holiness um, that's coming out soon on called The Art of Happiness in a Troubled World. It's a follow up to The Art of Happiness. And he talks about when he heard about 9-11 and, uh, you know, the, the, just feeling like the hatred and the destruction and like the how could people, you know, be so cruel. And then he said, I just stopped, you know, because you could see his mind got agitated and, and he just stopped and he said, I just prayed. You know, and it was so beautiful. You know, just, it, it, you know, that that was his mindfulness. You know, is that human response of like, you know, the the destruction of, you know, what people can do to each other. And then he stopped and prayed. Similarly, he said in this book that um, he, uh, when he went to Auschwitz, you know, and uh, saw the train tracks and saw, you know, places where children, you know, the pits where children's shoes were, you know, in Auschwitz, he just stopped and prayed. Or maybe it was at the Holocaust Museum not at the exact uh, concentration camp. But, you know, you, we, can, we could easily go around for the rest of our lives in a rage and depressed. That's easy, right? I mean, that's... It, sometimes you wonder how come people aren't all in a rage and depressed. You know what I mean? So, but the, Buddhas, the Buddha said we don't have to do that. We can make our lives a blessing. We can make our lives a blessing by, by using intimacy with our suffering, touching it to the extent that we're able being able to tolerate it to the extent that it were able to, to, to realize that there's an alternative to rumination and that alternative is mindfulness to, to, to really examine the ruminating mind, to see the hamster in its wheel, you know, to uh, ease off the train to depression. Feel, be generous, you know, cut the craving of desire, okay, which is very painful clenching of the heart wishing something else is you know there's the expression if you want love and a lot of depression is feeling lack of love right right you don't feel loved you feel unworthy you feel lonely you feel isolated give it if you want love you, whatever you want really desperately and deeply try to give it you know whatever you don't want you know you know try to help somebody ease it you know and then in those moments those are the moments of of the heart opening, the quivering heart, you know, of, of just of kindness, of intimacy, um, to the extent you're able. And I realize when you're severely depressed, it's very hard to do. But what I, you know, what I've done when I've been in very difficult mind states, very very difficult ones, you know, I'm really uh, uh, feeling numb. You know, that feeling when you just oh, you're just complete in a fog and you just can't move. 
and you're really zoned out, but it's so heavy. You feel like, you know, you're, you're a whale at the bottom of the ocean. I've gotten excellent over the years of feeling numb. Like, I, I really know what numbness is like, you know, and it's not just a word. It's like, you know, that heaviness in my eyes or my heart feeling like it's, you know, it's lodged at the back of my, you know, the rib cage. And then you, then when you get really into it, you know, you, you know, my, uh, Lips touching each other, it, it's numbness isn't numbness anymore. It's kind of like this this interesting experience of, you know, of um, uh, you know heavy eyes and and you know feeling I'm going to sink into the mattress and you, it, it it becomes an enlivening experience. Um, so you know, washing my face can become more interesting. So I you know, I'm not trivializing uh, what I've been through or anybody else in this. It is, but if you, it's again, it's applying the mindfulness, the intention. Okay, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We take the pill, we don't know. But the Buddha gives us a whole medicine cabinet, you know, of gratitude, of generosity, of looking at, you know, grasping, wanting pleasure, looking at the aversion against pain, um, uh, uh, offering ourselves loving kindness. You know, he gives us this whole, you know, array of medicines to cure the disease of depression and that's that's our responsibility even even the days where you don't you just can't face it just can't face it well that's good to know just seeing that is a moment of mindfulness so there's a question over here yeah so the question is that 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 when that mindfulness could be disorienting if you perceive yourself as a, a ruminating, you know, if, who am I if I'm not ruminating? Yeah, mindfulness is it is disorienting. It's a very good point. It it it, it it's 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 a uh, it's very powerful medicine because it's giving you one of the greatest insights that it, the truth is you're not your ruminations, you know. You're not any of you're not your thoughts, you're not your feelings, you're not your body, you know, you're not your emotions. So we're, you know, we're much bigger. Our consciousness is pure and immaculate. You know, who you are is really a Buddha. You know, that's who you really are. You know, you're, you're, you know, that you have the heart of infinite compassion, just like the Buddha. Uh, had the heart of in- infinite compassion, which is why we're all sitting here talking about the Dhamma. We're talking about the, the Buddha as the doctor, the Dhamma as the, the medicine, as the Sangha as the nurse. Yeah, right. So mindfulness is shockingly disorienting, you know, because it, it's it's our life raft. And you realize, oh my God, then you get really depressed because you say, God, I spent so much of my life sunk. You know, at the bottom of the ocean, ruminating and wasting my life. Well, that's better better than on your deathbed. Do you know? I just was recalling today. It was actually one of my best friends, very poignant story, and it's 100% true, who's dying of cancer many years ago, actually a student of Gill's. And she was dying of cancer, and uh, we were at the hospital together, and it was the day before she was died. I didn't, we didn't, you know, you know we didn't know that she was going to die the next day, but... I had gotten her out of the bed and wheeled her into the garden of the hospital. And, you know, she was dying of cancer and she was acknowledging how depressed she was. So I said, well, what are you depressed about? Um, she, you know, she kept on saying, she didn't say I'm depressed, but I can't bear it, I can't bear it. So I said, what can't you bear? And she said, it really makes me cry as I even thinking about it. She goes, I can't bear the life that I had, you know. 
and uh, um, so I I sat there. I thought, well, you know, what what's the most compassionate thing I could say now? I said, well, it's the life that you had. You know, that that's the way it was. You know, and she said, yeah. You know, and there was like a release. Yeah, that that's the way it was. You know, and it's true. That's that's the way it was. And so it didn't have to be a good life or a bad life or unfair life or any labels of the life. It was the life that was her life. So, you know, it was a poignant moment, but it, it was a dharmic moment. It was a, it was a medicine moment because in the the moment before, you know, there was aversion against the life she had. But and she was the person, by the way, who 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 um, encouraged me to go on my first meditation retreat so I have a huge debt of gratitude to her her name is Roberta I'm happy to dedicate the uh, Dharma talk to her um, tonight because it was it was you know she through the power of the practice I was able to say something that had the medicine of Dharma and it. it wasn't judgmental it was the life that she had and she was able to respond from a place of Dharma from a place of mindfulness you know, and it is very disorienting because we're so used to the battle. You know, the suffering is real. The suffering is me. The suffering is the story of my life. And when you look at it and you say, this is suffering, and it's not mine, it's not anybody's. You know, this is, this is, this is the first noble truth. And it's noble because it stands on its own. You know, it's not trendy. It's, it's the way it is. And, you know, people who are truly compassionate, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, or I'm sure there's people in your life, you know, genuinely compassionate, they've usually had very hard lives. You know? They're usually not, you know, people who are genuinely compassionate, you know, usually aren't the happy-go-lucky type, you know? Yeah. So just spending a moment and, you know, looking at your... Self as if the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or, you know, whoever is in your life who has offered you the gift of compassion. You know, just acknowledging to you this is the way it is. You know, your thoughts and feelings, emotions, your pain, this is not really who you are. You know, the mind is really immaculate and spotless. It's not. It's the, its inherent nature is not depressed. It's loving and compassionate. This is a, this is our true nature. You know, life is unfair. That's a thought. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The thought, though. You know, my past was horrific. You know, it's a string of words. And where is the past? You know, it's like, you know, like the dinosaurs, where are they? You know, the past is a thought in the present. 
Sometimes you know, just looking through the eyes of compassion of somebody else can be very helpful. So always looking within at the, for the medicine of mindfulness, you know, always looking within. There's nowhere else to go, you know. The Dalai Lama says we can uproot hatred, you know, we can uproot greed, you know, we can uproot delusion, like not seeing things clearly, not, not seeing that, you know, our thoughts are not who we are, you know, greed of, you know, how much could you ever get? Are you ever really happy? You know, it's like how... How much, you know, that's a delusion. If we think if we only had more and more of what was pleasant, we'd be happy. This is a delusion. If we only had less and less of what we didn't want, we'd ultimately be happy. This is a delusion. So you know, the, the Buddha said we can uproot all of these things through meditation and mindfulness. We're really seeing that this is not the nature of the mind. What you cannot uproot is love. You can't uproot it. It's the nature of who we really are. Okay, so then the depressed thought arises. Well, it's the nature of everybody else, but not me, right? That's a depressing thought. But no, this is what the Buddha says. We don't go, you know, that that's that's a rumination, that's a thought, but it's not the truth. You know, it's not the truth. Yes, this this is this is very you know a courageous thing to say. It's it's easy to be compassionate to other people and very hard towards ourselves. And we're you know we're usually our own worst enemy because we would never probably or hopefully not treat anybody else as cruelly as we treat ourselves. Is this does this sound is this an accurate or yeah? Well, I I would this is kind of a, a very strong thing to say but it's probably worth saying and I would say that to the extent that you can't be compassionate toward yourself is that to the extent that the compassion that that's offered you know doesn't have the the um, the density of sincerity that it could you know because if it's not within yourself okay then it can't it, then it's it's it's, a, it's another law of nature you can't give you can't you can't offer something Okay, and the and the level of sincerity, such something like compassion, unless it, unless it comes from yourself. So you practice. I'm going to make the intention, you know, to offer a level of compassion to this person, and hopes that it will sincerely, you know, feed back to me, because you're always, you know, always relating it to. I'm going to plant the seed in somebody else, so it's a, a seed for myself as well. Okay, so it's like you you make that intention that the the effort that you're making out from on the outside affects what you're wishing for on the inside. Okay, I'm not saying it's a fake compassion. I'm saying it's it's not the sincerest level of compassion because you're not experiencing it for yourself. And when you're offering it. Say, you know, I'm offering this person compassion. You know, may may the the goodness of that intention, you know, be planted within myself to plant my own seeds of compassion, so the compassion can grow. Okay, 
for myself and for my ability to, to offer it to other people. Okay, because I, it sounds very harsh to say it's hard. It's it's if you give it and you don't have it, okay, then there is there there is that gap. You can still give it, and you say in this in this effort of giving my sincerity to somebody, may it also feed back to me to that part of myself that isn't compassionate. So it it. It provides the fertilizer for your own. Just giving it without experiencing it is not really giving it. Okay, so that's why the Buddha says, "Oh, you know, always look within yourself first. So just as just as this, I, I sincerely care about this person, I have compassion for that for this person's problem. May I sincerely have compassion for my own problems. May I sincerely try to develop." A heart of compassion that is my true nature you know you sincerely bring that intention back to yourself may I sincerely try to touch my suffering okay may I sincerely try to touch these ruminations so they break up and I can see that they're really not mine you know they're not who we are it's very hard to develop compassion for yourself but it's the only game in town Really, it's the only game in town. Because otherwise, you're you're kind of like a uh, like a news reporter. You're just like kind of babbling, the, you know, the facts of the day. So you're babbling out, you know, you know, you hope this. But if it's not like if it's not cycling through you, then then really, what is it? And I'm not diminishing it, but it's more like again, you look in the window of the store. You know, this this person is you know looks like this person is suffering. I'm suffering. May just as I want to be happy. Just as I want to be understood, just as I want to be related to, you know, with compassion, may I, the, the efforts that I'm making to this other person, you know, may it also benefit me and to all beings. You know, may we all develop compassion. Okay, so people, you know, we get on this really weird trip, you know, like, oh, I shouldn't be so selfish and think of myself. It's, it's the, you know, thinking about your own mind. You know, is the most unselfish thing you could do. It's the most radical thing you can do. You know, it is. You know, it is revolution to look at your own mind. It's shocking. It's humbling. I mean, I, I, you know, and, and you can look at people in your own life who've done that, who've really overcome tremendous hardship, and they, you know, and they feel it. You can feel their quivering hearts. So we can feel our own. So just like to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths and or you can just gaze your eyes forward and and to the extent that you're able you know make the intention of opening your heart this week as a form of medicine allowing your heart to quiver to the rage or the fear or the sorrow the disappointments, you know, whatever arises, to make the commitment to knowing it intimately to the extent that you're able and using the wisdom of many medicines, you know, of, of kindness, of generosity, you know, giving to other people, smiling, whatever you can do to feel grateful. 
to review on the skillful at the end of the day and to dedicate your efforts. Now, may any of the merit that comes from the efforts that you're making in this class over these weeks or tonight, I particularly say them for my friend Roberta, you know, wherever she may be. I dedicate the merit to her and to um, all suffering beings. And you can make your own personal dedications. I also dedicate, may we dedicate tonight's class and all of our times together, all of your efforts and intentions to everyone in this room. to all the mental hospitals filled with depressed people, people who don't even have help for depression or even know the name of it. You know, may we dedicate the merit to the truth of suffering, to the truth of the end of suffering, and to all, to all beings everywhere, that our suffering, you know, Suffering has a relationship to compassion. And so that's the merit we have the opportunity to create and share to all beings everywhere. Oops, sorry. You know, I actually have one more thing I want to say. That's okay. I just want to say that another great act of compassion is forgiveness and that's what I'm going to be talking about next week is the uh, making the effort of forgiving yourselves and forgiving others as an embodiment of compassion so stay tuned and have a good week thank you